Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to Lore Legends, a subset of lore episodes that explore the strange tales we whisper in the dark, even if they can't always be proven by the history books. So if you're ready, let's begin. It's meant to be a time of fun and bonding, where kids make friendships that last a lifetime, and teens have romances that last until, well, until they have to go back to school. I'm talking, of course, about summer camp, a rite of passage for many American children and their parents, the latter of which who just need a break for a few months. But many of our favorite horror movies have painted the summer camp experience as something less than wholesome where campfire songs are replaced with the screams of victims, and sleeping bags become nothing more than flimsy coffins. Films like Friday the 13th, which was filmed at Camp Nobibosco in Hardwick, New Jersey, a real-life Boy Scout summer camp. There was also Sleepaway Camp and its sequels, as well as 1988's Cheerleader Camp. It seems there is no scarier place than a secluded compound in the woods full of innocent children and crazed teenagers. But why is that? What makes camp such a scary place, and the perfect setting for knife-wielding murderers and ghostly hauntings? Well, it might have to do with the stories behind some very real summer camps, ones that have been plagued by the monsters spoken about when the moon is high and the marshmallows have been toasted black. So gather around the fire, and I'll tell you some tales. Just keep an ear out for the sounds of a hooked hand scraping against the trees or the haunting sight of a woman who's lost her head. Because at summer camp, anything is possible. Just as long as it's frightening. I'm Aaron Mankey, and this is Lore Legends. Located across 450 acres of Brandywine, Maryland, is the William S. Schmidt Outdoor Education Center. But everyone knows it as Camp Schmidt. It was named for the former superintendent who presided over the public school system there from 1951 through 1970. Today, Camp Schmidt collaborates with schools from all over Washington, D.C. and Maryland to get young kids out of the cities and into the woods for just a little while. They learn all about nature, team building, and problem-solving. And after dark, when the lights go out and the crickets come out to sing, 
the children tell each other scary stories about the camp and the lore that makes up its history. Stories like that of Old Man Clutch. No summer camp tale is more prominent at Camp Schmidt than Old Man Clutch. Legend has it that the camp sits on an old tobacco plantation. It's a fact that's hard to prove, but the presence of other plantation homes in the area lends credibility to its provenance. The plantation was supposedly owned by the Clutch family, led by a cantankerous patriarch known as Old Man Clutch. He had seven children, two of whom died and were buried on the property. Their gravestones have said to reside somewhere in the woods nearby, something of a historical Easter egg for campers today to scurry off and find. But what really made Old Man Clutch famous was his left leg, which caused him to walk with a staggering limp. Oh, and his missing head. You see, Old Man Clutch had fought for the Confederacy during the Civil War and met an untimely end when he was decapitated on the battlefield. According to campers, he wanders the grounds of his former home to this day, waiting for poor, unsuspecting souls to stray into the woods. And when he finds them, it's said that he cuts off their heads, which he carries with him wherever he goes, in a great big sack. Counselors usually tell this story to their campers as a way to keep them from venturing off on their own. And as with most summer camp tales, this one has always happened to the person telling it just many years earlier. As the story goes, it starts with counselors telling a group of kids about Old Man Clutch, and usually everyone laughs at the part where he cuts off their heads. But then, later that night, several campers decide to sneak off on their own into the dense, dark woods, looking for proof. It's usually four girls and two boys, wielding flashlights and a dangerous dose of curiosity. Without warning, though, a loud rustling is heard, as though something is being dragged through the underbrush. Suddenly, a figure emerges from the trees, pulling a heavy sack behind him. And although they can barely see him in the darkness, one thing is clear. The figure has no head. So the children flee through the woods, screaming while the light from their flashlight bounces off the trees as though it's just as confused and afraid as they are. But Old Man Clutch is hot on their trail, hoping to add another head to his collection. The campers, of course, eventually make it back to their bunks, relieved that they all outran the legendary monster. Well, almost all of them. As the children look around, they notice one of the girls didn't make it back. They go and wake the counselors to tell them what happened, and pretty soon a search party is organized. But it doesn't matter how long they search, or how much of the woods they scour. The girl is never found. And just as you might expect, each retelling ends with the following morning, when the victim's bracelet is discovered in front of her cabin. An ominous reminder to the others that summer camp isn't always about fun and friendships. It's also about fear. So if you ever get a chance to go visit Camp Schmidt for yourself and want to explore the woods, go right ahead. Just be sure not to lose your head. Camp Owens in Marion, Ohio has something in common with Camp Schmidt, but more on that later. Located in north-central Ohio, Marion is full of history, both light and dark. It's the hometown of America's 29th president, Warren G. Harding, as well as an annual popcorn festival. It was also a stop on the Underground Railroad. 
But during the early 20th century, Marion sadly became a sundown town, and the African-American residents who had lived there for generations were forced out. Its more sinister background also extends to other parts of the town as well, including a haunted hotel and a country club murder. Marion's Boy Scouts, though, would spend their summers at Camp Owens, named after the Owens family patriarch John A. Owens, who allowed the Scouts to use his land for campouts starting way back in 1925. And one of the regular stories the campers would tell revolved around a woman named Headless Hattie. It seems that a ghostly figure lacking their head is somewhat common at summer camps. And according to the Scouts themselves, there is more than just one version of the Headless Hattie story. In one telling, Hattie, this time with two Ds in her name, was the wife of a farmer who had lived north of the camp. One day, the couple's neighbors stopped by to check in on them. The farmer and his wife hadn't been seen around town for quite a while. When they got there, the neighbors found Hattie dead. Well, most of her. Her body was still there, but her head had been chopped off, and the husband was completely gone, never to be seen again. One version claimed that it was her husband who had actually done the chopping. Another blamed the deed on a band of thieves. But no matter who is telling the story or how, it always ends the same way, with Headless Hattie, with two T's this time in her name, haunting the camp, searching for her missing head. She's usually seen mucking through the swampy quarry on the edge of the property. And just as with Old Man Clutch, older scouts used the story of Headless Hattie to keep the younger ones in line and discourage them from wandering off after dark. They even take them on a tour of an old dilapidated farmhouse on the grounds as they tell them the story, supposedly the house that was once occupied by Hattie herself. But is the story true? Had a woman really lost her head to her husband or a group of violent thieves a long time ago? Well, according to a book owned by the local scout's office, back in the 1800s, a prominent German colony had once occupied the lamp that the camp now sits on. And the dilapidated farmhouse on Camp Owens is the last vestige of that once thriving community. The man who lived there had purchased a life-size statue of a beautiful woman as a gift for his wife. The woman, taken with the gift, placed it in her garden so that she could admire it among the greenery growing there. Sadly, the statue was at the mercy of the elements. As time went on, the wind and the rain began to eat away at it. So the woman moved the statue to an upper porch where she hoped it might be more protected. But by then, it was too late. The statue started to fall apart, and one day, her head cracked off and tumbled to the ground below. At dusk one evening afterward, a rider passed by the house and noticed the silhouette of a headless figure standing at one of the windows. And with that... The legend of Headless Hattie was born. Isolated wooded campgrounds aren't the only places with their own haunted legends. Cities like New York are crawling with more than just rats and tourists. They're teeming with stories of terrified figures who bring nothing but dread and sorrow to the people who live there. Staten Island, for example, was home to several mental hospitals, facilities that have been known to breed tales of lost patients and disgruntled former workers that now terrorize the local population. One of those institutions was Willowbrook State School, which opened its doors in 1947. It was intended to house the most vulnerable people in the borough, with the goal of providing these individuals with a safe, welcoming place for them to live out their days. But Willowbrook was anything but safe or welcoming. 
By 1955, it had reached its full capacity of 4,000 students, but it kept growing. That number ballooned to 6,200 by 1969, and most of those living there were children. At various points, diseases like hepatitis and measles spread like wildfire throughout the school. And the word school here is used very loosely. There was almost no educational resource available to the people at Willowbrook, and many were left huddled together in rooms, moaning by themselves. Violence and abuse was also common, both from staff and from other residents. Often, students would be left naked or smeared in their own urine and feces for long periods of time without any supervision. It wasn't until the 1970s, when a pair of journalists snuck a camera into Willowbrook, that people finally got a first-hand look at the atrocities being committed within its walls. It was finally shut down in 1987. Another institution was Seaview Hospital, which was once one of the largest tuberculosis sanitariums in the U.S. Its first buildings were constructed in 1905 and housed most of Staten Island's urban poor. But by the 1970s and 80s, most of the buildings there had been abandoned. Urban spelunkers would wander the empty halls and spray paint all kinds of words and symbols on the walls, stepping over random pill bottles and papers strewn about. Meanwhile, beneath the once-bustling hospital, underground tunnels wound their way from one end to the other like a nest of coiling serpents. And out of these facilities came the legend of Cropsey. He was the boogeyman of Staten Island, a homicidal madman who had once resided in one of these institutions. It might have been Willowbrook or it could have been Seaview. No one is quite sure. Some locals claim that he had killed his entire family. Others believed that he'd been driven mad after being disfigured in a prank gone wrong. But regardless of the actual reason, Cropsey was said to have been committed and then escaped. The stories vary, with one version believing that he vanished into the nearby woods. Another claims that he slithered into the sewer systems beneath Staten Island, lying in wait for unsuspecting children to wander by. As with other famed killers of urban legend, Cropsey was usually described as having a hook for a hand, although some say that he carried a knife or maybe an axe instead, and he was burned horribly all over his body. Once he had a young victim in his clutches, he dragged them down to the bowels of the city deep below the defunct hospitals. Older siblings and parents told this to younger kids to scare them out of exploring these old dangerous buildings on their own. And unsurprisingly, the story of Cropsey expanded far beyond the dilapidated structures of New York's outer boroughs to numerous summer camps nearby. After all, every campground needs a boogeyman. And Cropsey is scarier than most. Folktales often start from a seed of truth, a kernel of history nestled beneath the pageantry of legends. But sometimes this happens the other way around, where an imaginary monster becomes real. In 1972, children started disappearing on Staten Island. Over the next several years, four kids vanished, with the authorities never getting any closer to finding them. Someone, or something, was abducting the neighborhood children. Until one day, a 12-year-old girl with Down syndrome named Jennifer Schweiger disappeared. The police quickly connected her case to the four others that had eluded them for so long. And their investigation took them all the way 
to Seaview Hospital. It was there that they found the bodies of the missing children, including young Jennifer's. Each one had been buried there by a man named Andrew Rand. Rand had been homeless for some time, living near the abandoned Seaview Hospital by himself, but there was something else about him, something familiar. As it turned out, Rand had once been a school janitor, but not just any school. He'd been employed at Willowbrook State School. And although he wasn't burned all over his body, nor did he have a hook for a hand, what the cops had discovered was something even more frightening, that the stories about Cropsey had actually been real all along. There's nothing quite like the smell of a campfire on a warm summer's night. Flickering flames, tasty s'mores, and good conversation are always the perfect companion to a setting like that. And I think we can all agree, so are spooky stories. But there's never really a shortage of creepy tales to tell around the fire. And we've got more in our backpack. This last one, though, well, it's a doozy. Stick around through this brief sponsor break to hear all about it. This episode of Lore is made possible by June's Journey. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance as you immerse yourself in the world of June's Journey, a hidden object mystery mobile game that puts your detective skills to the test. Play as June Parker and investigate beautifully detailed scenes of the 1920s whilst uncovering the mystery of her sister's murder. With hundreds of mind-teasing puzzles, the next clue is always within reach. Collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Plus, you can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. I'm willing to bet that, like me, you work crazy hours and are desperately in need of easy ways to relax. I love that I can open up June's journey and dig in for a little while, searching for hidden objects, fine-tuning my sense of observation, and enjoying the gorgeous artwork are all so, so helpful in letting me unwind. Mystery, danger, and romance. Where will each new chapter take you? Relax and lose yourself in this captivating quest of mystery, murder, and romance. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode was made possible by Article. Every single day, I sit down at my desk and I make podcasts. And that's something that I've done for years on a desk from Article. The quality is absolutely amazing, delivery was dead simple, and everyone who sees it can't help but comment on it. Maybe that's because Article believes in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their online-only model, they have some really delightful prices, too. Their curated assortment of mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandi, and boho designs makes furniture shopping simple. I honestly can't can't get enough of all of those clean lines, rich colors, and gorgeous wood finishes. Article's team of designers are all about finding the perfect balance between style, quality, and price. They're dedicated to thoughtful craftsmanship that stands the test of time and looks good doing it. Article offers fast, affordable shipping across the U.S. and Canada. Plus, they won't leave you waiting around. You pick the delivery time and they'll send you updates every step of the way. And their knowledgeable customer care team is there when you need them to make sure your experience is smooth and stress-free. Article is offering our listeners $50 off their first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash lore, and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash lore for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. 
This episode of Lore was made possible by DoorDash. We live in a pretty amazing world, don't we? You can get anything you need when you need it delivered right to your door. With DoorDash, you can get pretty much anything. For my family, this became a powerful tool when my kids started back up with after-school sports. All of a sudden, there were days when being able to order a meal became a lifesaver. If it wasn't for DoorDash, we'd have been eating dinner way too late. And maybe you've been there, or in a different situation with a similar solution. Sick on the couch, trapped between never-ending meetings, or even at a party and suddenly out of ice or alcohol. In moments like that, DoorDash can provide a clutch assist. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now and get almost anything delivered. Must be 21 or older to order alcohol. Drink responsibly. Alcohol available only in select markets. Some campfire stories are told everywhere. There's something universal about strange sounds and shadowy figures lurking in the darkness that transcend location and social class, like the one about the licked hand. It's not a long or complicated tale. In its most common form, it tells the story of a girl who wakes up in the middle of the night. She hears a strange tapping sound coming from the bathroom. Tap, tap, tap. The girl is scared, so she lowers her hand off of her bed to the floor where her dog is sleeping to make sure that he's still there. The dog reassures her by licking her hand, which calms her enough to go back to sleep. But then the tapping from the bathroom wakes her again. Tap. 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 So once more, the girl reaches down to make sure her dog is beside her. He licks her hand, and she goes back to sleep. Sometime later, the tapping awakens the poor girl for a third time. Tap. 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 And she senses the dog on the floor next to her as he licks her hand one last time before she returns to slumber. The following morning, the girl wakes up and stumbles into the bathroom. As she rubs the sleep from her eyes, she screams in horror at the sight of her dog, hanging from the shower with its throat cut open. The tapping she had heard throughout the night was the sound of its blood, drip, drip, dripping onto the tile, and painted in the same blood across the mirror are the words, people can lick too. Like I said, I'm sure you've heard it before. The licked hand is as common as the story of the vanishing hitchhiker or the yellow ribbon. Its details change with each retelling, but the impact of its ending never fails to strike fear into the hearts of those who listen. In some versions, the girl is having a slumber party and not only awakens to find her dog dead, but all of her friends as well. In others, it's her parents who are killed, and some tellings change the main character from a child to an old woman. There's also a variant set in college, where a girl stays up studying before going back to her dorm to get some books. Not wanting to wake her sleeping roommate, she leaves the lights off and collects her things in the dark. The following morning, she returns to her room only to find her roommate dead. And on the mirror, written in lipstick, it says, Aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light? So where did the story of the licked hand come from? Was it invented by parents and camp counselors to scare kids into behaving properly? It certainly has all the telltale signs of a 1980s campfire legend, born from the age of stranger danger and the satanic panic. As it turns out, though, the licked hand has been moist for more than a century. And it didn't start in America, either. 
Its origins can be traced back to English writer M.R. James. He had written a piece titled The Diary of Mr. Pointer, in which a man reads about the grisly death of a young man obsessed with his hair. As he reads it, he absentmindedly strokes his dog, which is, of course, not actually his dog at all. An even earlier story from 1871 was recorded by Englishman Dearman Birchall, who wrote in his diary about something one of his guests at a croquet party had once told him. It was an anecdote about a clergyman who had been woken up in the middle of the night by his wife, believing that a robber had scurried under their bed. The clergyman, though, told her not to worry, as it was only their large dog moving around. He told her that he had placed his hand down toward the floor and the dog had licked it. The following morning, the couple woke up to find all of their jewelry and expensive belongings missing. As for the writing on the mirror or wall, that element is probably the oldest of them all. Here's a quote for you. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall, near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. And where has that little gem been hiding all these years? Right inside the best-selling book of all time, the Christian Bible. This episode of Lord Legends was produced by me, Aaron Mankey, with writing by Harry Marks and research by Jenna Rose Nethercott. Lore is much more than just a podcast. There's a book series available in bookstores and online, and two seasons of the television show on Amazon Prime Video. Check them both out if you want more lore in your life. Information about all of that and more is available over at lorepodcast.com. And you can also follow this show on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Lore Podcast, all one word, and then click that follow button. And when you do, say hi. I like it when people say hi. And as always, thanks for listening.